You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Action Movie Rewind on the show today, Taken. Mm. One of the most iconic film speeches of our lifetimes from Liam Neeson. It's also a Judd's Keys Friday here. Judd's Keys to a Vikings victory. But first, let's talk about Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated has a particular set of skills. Skills acquired in the early 1900s in Owatonna, Minnesota. They've been helping business owners for over 100 years. They will, they will find you, they will protect you, and they will give you peace of mind. That's what they do at Federated. They give business owners peace of mind and protection. And you can find a full list of industries Federated protects on federatedinsurance.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at FederatedINS for fresh, relevant risk management content on a variety of topics. At Federated, it's our business. To protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. You stick around as long as I have. You got connections everywhere. <laughs> so I know a lot of players there, a couple of players there that have been part of my career and some coaches that I've coached with. So yeah, I think that's the first thing you do is you check on everybody, how you guys doing, and, and uh, you know, concern for your buddies. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully everything's okay and we, we uh, can have a great game this weekend. Welcome in to Mackie and Judd. Judd's keys is in the house, everybody. I hear him creeping around the hallway. Yeah, oh, he's, boy. he's been out there for a while now. He's sitting on a chair. Hey, Judd's key should keep his head up because the Vikings have mostly followed his keys in these close losses to the Seattle undefeated game. Teams. They definitely did. Yeah. Yep. Out to the Tennessee game. I think uh, getting an extra stop at the end of the game would help in those situations. Should that be a key? Don't allow Get a late. The extra don't stop. allow the late score or yeah, or be. rally yourself. Come back from Eureka deficit. It would be helpful. Um, so we'll get to Action Movie Rewind. We'll talk to Patrick Roycey as we do every Friday. And a quick shout out to our audience on Vikings Ventline, part of the Purple Daily umbrella of shows. If you want to be part of Vikings Ventline, a couple things for you because we had some people ask. It is a YouTube show as of 2020. We've just uh, we've had some great traction on our YouTube channel, and um, and it's just it's been fun to sort of turn that show into. A video production. For God's sakes, Chansey and Fargo lit a literal dumpster fire on the show last week. So if you're interested in things like that, check us out. YouTube.com slash Purple Daily Podcast and the podcast form of it on Purple Daily, Apple, Spotify, and Scornorth.com. But speaking of the Vikings, are we ready 
for Judd's keys to a Vikings victory? Keys has delivered. Keys has delivered. So I've got, yes, I have the four. Count them. One, two, three, four keys to a Vikings victory. All right. And no, I'm not going to sarcastically use score late or don't give up a late score because we all know that that would be nice. Well, where do you want to start? You want to start? Uh, We're going to start at four and, and work four. our way up. Yeah, right. Key four. Key four for each quarter. One for each quarter of the football game. <clears throat> key number four. Oh, yeah, I see what you did there, Keys. This is funny. Why don't you get out of here? Uh, key number four. Hamstrung by the hamstring. We're actually going to start with the Falcons' problems wow. and use those as a key, which should help the likes of Jeff Gladney and Cameron Dantzler and Mike Hughes. Um, Julio Jones, at least through Thursday, had not practiced this week for the Falcons. He is likely to miss his second straight game. The last time he played was against the Packers a couple Monday nights ago. He didn't play in the loss to Carolina. He probably won't play in this game because of a hamstring. Now, uh, Calvin Ridley is the top receiver for the Falcons. 29 catches, 485 yards, and four touchdowns. So he is not bad. He's a good player. But Julio Jones not playing is definitely going to help and should help a uh, young cornerback trio that I still think is improving. Like, I think that this core of guys... Holton Hill, who almost certainly is not going to play again because he also has a hamstring. I don't know that he's improving, but I think the more time that uh, Gladney, Dantzler, and Hughes get together, the more that they're going to improve. And as I keep saying, I don't think that we're going to get to a week in 2020 where they shut a guy down, but taking Julio Jones out of the equation definitely, in my opinion, probably helps their progress going against uh, the Falcons and Matt Ryan. Yeah, like if, if you're ranking for rookie cornerbacks, if you're ranking all the receivers that you probably wouldn't want them to have to be on an island with, he's definitely in a group of five, right? Like DeAndre Hopkins would be on that sure. list. So, yeah, that'll be if, if, if he doesn't play, I'm not going to guarantee a Vikings victory just based on what we've seen. But but then the, there's the other school of thought that, hey, if this is a throw guys into the fire sort of a season, don't you want them to be getting punched in the mouth by guys like Julio Jones? Just get it out of their system. You want to see what the top echelon of receivers looks like? This is a key a key to Vikings victories. Um, yes, you're right. Like, if this was keys to development, I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. How about keys to tanking for Trevor? But this is, That's hey. what I should. You know, oh, you know, well, then you should do that. Actually, you know what? Maybe starting next week, we're going to have dueling keys segments. Right, Judd's keys to a Vikings victory and Phil's keys for tanking for Trevor. Kirk Cousins throw three or more picks per game. If they lose to the Falcons, that's happening after the bye week. I love right? it. I love it. I hate, you know what? Let's spread the wealth of keys around, okay? <laughs> we're just uh, we're we're creating a keys network of shows. I love yeah. that idea. All right, key number three. This goes back very much to the, the Vikings completely. Hold on tight to the football. The Vikings are a minus five in uh, turnover margin in 2020. That is tied for 28th. Okay, there is nothing that can submarine a chance at, at a win more than an untimely uh, pick or fumble. The Falcons, who have not won a game, all right, they have not won a game, are a plus one. So the Falcons are holding on to the ball far more than the Vikings. The Vikings are costing themselves, and the key stat to me off of all of this is this one. Kirk Cousins, so far through five games in 2020, has thrown one more pick. He's thrown seven than he did in all of his 15 starts he threw six in 2019. And what's the one thing that we talked about as as last year when the Vikings did get in the playoffs unfolded? That Kirk Cousins' ball security, both not fumbling and in picks, 
seemed to be much improved, yeah. which was an which was absolutely paramount to the success of the offense because you didn't have what coaches like to call and football people call sudden change. Sudden change is suddenly very bad. Uh, you're this has to improve here, and this is not these these picks and, and fumbles aren't on a bunch of I don't think young players. They're on guys like Cousins. Uh, Cook had the key fumble against the Titans, the bad one against Tennessee. So we're talking about veteran players who shouldn't be turning the ball over. The pick that Cousins threw in the third quarter against the Seahawks last Sunday, which I thought was sort of the dagger of that game, like that was an absolute killer and turned into a score. Um, This has to be cleaned up, and it shouldn't be... that hard. I mean, if the defense struggles because it's young corners, I totally get that part of it. But these are veteran players who should be holding on to or not throwing interceptions with the football. And now, in, in, I guess, a slight in fairness to the Kirk Cousins interception stat, one of them was a Hail Mary. So, I mean, but still, six, I think it's six non-Hail Mary interceptions on the season. Yeah. And that ties his total from last year. On the turnovers or specifically the fumbles side of things, all right, this is the telling stat for me. Mm-hmm. Since the beginning of 2000, let's see here. Since the beginning of 2017, so his last year as a starter in Washington, all right? Kirk Cousins has fumbled 34 times. Is that right? Gosh, 23. Yeah, 34 times. Oh, yeah, he fumbled a ton. He's fumbled 34 times since the beginning of 2017. Yep. Aaron Rodgers, over that same stretch, has fumbled only 19 times. Okay. So 15 fewer fumbles by Aaron Rodgers. I haven't done the whole like the whole league, but okay. yeah, Kirk is definitely one of the more fumble-prone quarterbacks. And the two that I I think it was the he, the only two on the season are the ones from last week, right, where he drops back and gets and gets the ball poked out. Mm-hmm. Kind of a couple close calls. People might say, well, what's he supposed to do there? The offensive line is like a sieve, and they're allowing these guys in. And part of it is yes, pressure is going to lead to potential fumbles and strip sacks, but he has to do a better job if pressure happens or if someone sneaks around the outside, the best quarterbacks in the pocket sneak up a step or over and they aren't putting themselves in a spot for that ball to get knocked out as often as Kirk Cousins has it happen. Absolutely. So that's my only uh, my only add on there. All right, key number two. Key number two is this. Here's the catch. The Falcons are second to last in the National Football League in in passing yards against per game at a staggering 335.8 per game, okay? All right, so let's start with the guy that I think needs to get the football on Sunday or at least thrown in his direction more, Justin Jefferson. He had back-to-back games against the Titans, 175 receiving yards, against the Texans, 103 receiving yards in those two games combined 11 catches 14 targets last week against seattle again a defense that was not good three catches 23 yards five targets yeah got this, it, yeah this fa- this falcons team and look i know Thielen is going to get the ball irv smith should as well but this falcons team is clearly from the statistics ripe to be ripped apart in the uh in the deep game the vertical game, there is no reason why on Sunday Justin Jefferson shouldn't have at least two or three really, really big plays directed towards him. Targets on the season, Adam Thielen, 44. Justin Jefferson, 25. 
yet Justin Jefferson has more yards on the season than Adam Thielen. Think about that. Thielen has 20 more targets and and fewer yards. And um, this is not a rag on Thielen. Thielen's a, a wonderful wide receiver, one of the top 15 wide receivers in the NFL. I agree completely. I will I will add to your Falcons pass defense futility and that opposing quarterbacks against the Falcons this season have a 118.3 passer rating, 15 touchdowns, two interceptions. That's just shy of Aaron Rodgers' single-season all-time record passer rating of 122.5 in 2011. So the Falcons' defense is turning, collectively, the opposing quarterbacks they face into peak Aaron Rodgers, the year he threw 45 touchdowns and six interceptions. So I would think that unless they find, you know, maybe the firing of Dan Quinn and the shaking of, you know, shaking up of things, maybe that leads to a new defensive strategy or just some more life, but... If they continue down that path, Justin Jefferson should have a big game, and this should be a big Kirk Cousins game too. Yeah, it's a exactly. Classic like noon game. Yes, throw, bad opponent. Go deep. Yep. Throw the ball deep. Have some fun. Air it out. The bye is coming up. Come on. Key number one. You're gonna like this one. Key's very creative with the title here. The headline: Time for Matty Ice. Not Matt Ryan. Oh. Alexander Madison time. Oh, wow. Take a bow, Keys. Well, he was the opposite of Matty Ice last week when he had a chance to ice the game. That's why it's time for him. That's why it's time for him. All right, so Dalvin Cook uh, with the groin is not going to play in this game. I'm pretty certain that he might miss the Green Bay game out of the bye as well. But Madison stepped in last week. 112 yards rushing on 20 carries, three catches, 24 yards. And I know the last the last fourth down play, he screwed up, okay? But he's still a guy who, in his rookie year in 2019, averaged 4.6 yards per carry on 100 attempts. This is a, he's not Cook, but this is a good back. This guy has potential, and he can catch the ball. He can run. It is time for him to have, he doesn't have to have a huge game here, but I think he could definitely have an impact game, and the Vikings, most importantly, I don't think need to go away from their game plan. Uh, so so he might not be Dalvin Cook, but he can step in and play that role for a game or two or three, and so it's definitely time for Matty Ice to ice the game. <laughs> Alexander Madison this time to do the job. All right. I that's like it. Me, that's Th- keys. Those are Sorry about the that. four keys to a Vikings victory over... The Atlanta Falcons this weekend. I'll give you one more since we're throwing out all these nuggets and statistics. Okay. Action Network, a sports gambling platform that puts out great content. Action Network? Action Network HQ on Twitter. I got to see if I follow them. Okay. So since 2010, when coaches get fired in the NFL midseason, how do the teams respond? Last week we saw the Houston Texans get their first win of the season after Bill O'Brien got fired, so they bounced back. So since 2010, teams that fire coaches midseason, like the Falcons did last week, mm-hmm. are 12 and 8 the following week. Now those are teams that are bad, like fire your coach midseason I, bad. I told you I had a gut feeling about this part. And they have a resurrection right. the week after. They are 12 and 8 since 2010. The Vikings are the first team in this stretch. They fired Brad Childress in 2010, and they won their next game. Yep. So look out for the bounce back factor. I think if you can weather the storm in the first half. It's good. This is going to be a fight this week. I don't think the Vikings are going to blow out the You know Falcons what worries out. me about this whole thing now? So it's not just the fact that the Falcons have changed coaches. It's also their COVID scare. If you're the Vikings, and this game's going to be at home, and I know you're not good, but the Falcons are a mess, seemingly. I just, 
sometimes players are, are like, it's a home game. We'll be fine. And the Falcons literally have nothing to lose. Like, they have nothing Correct. to lose. They haven't practiced. They've got a new coach. Like, they could come in here as loose as you possibly can. And the Vikings, you know, are going to be like, well, we show up, we win, right? Like, there's a lot of little things to this game that would concern me. And it's really hard, I think, to tell players, all right, take this team super seriously when they're like, yeah, but they just didn't practice. Here's the other thing, too. Matt Ryan, after the game last week, so they got beat by Carolina, and they had a chance late. Matt Ryan was not good in that game. And Matt Ryan basically, like, went to the podium or the Zoom podium, and he apologized to his teammates and said, like, I've been in the league a long time. I was not good enough today. So I think you fire the coach, the quarterback, who is a former yeah. MVP, or he won an MVP two yes. years ago. Super Bowl, yes. yeah. And, and went to the Super Bowl and had his team with a three-and-a-half touchdown lead in the Super Bowl yep. is feeling terrible about not doing enough last week. Yeah. So there's a there's a good chance early on in this game or the whole game, you're going to have to weather like a Matt Ryan comeback storm and then the Falcons having some pride for the first time all season. So. Yep, and not practicing actually might help them. Get rested? Yeah, well, and they're just, they'll be super loose. Like, what's the downside for them now? Like, okay, they lose again, they lose, but they've been off. The coach got fired. And then your your point is, is right, too. So Matty Ice is going to come in and be like, okay, cool. I'll yep. sling I'll sling the ball around against a young secondary or at least cornerbacks. It's just this game worries me, but I don't think the Vikings lose it. Yep. So, I think uh, they win. So there are Judd's keys to a Vikings victory over the Atlanta. It's Justin Jefferson, Paul. Okay, I want to watch him play. Justin Jefferson has a, very set of is a particular, particular set of skills. Deep ball stretches the field. I will target you. I will throw the ball to you, and you will score. Yeah, that, gritty on you. That's, assu- that's assuming that Kirk has some, uh, I don't think Kirk has that gene. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Welcome to the party, pal! Action Movie Reviews with Mackie, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother... A friend gave this to me. It's Albanian. You mind translating it? <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. You don't remember me. We spoke on the phone two days ago. I told you I would find you. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> wow. Welcome in to Action Movie Rewind. The 29th edition of this segment that we introduced when COVID hit, hmm. uh, thanks in part to our old friends Rami Makloff and, and John Harrison, this is the first time I had ever seen this movie straight through, taken from 2009. I can't parts believe of it. you had never seen this straight through. Even I had seen it straight through. It's a rarity that you have seen a movie straight through that I have not. Yeah. An action movie especially. And Declan, you had seen this movie before? Yeah, I've seen it a few times. Been a while though. There's so many things to dive into here, and we will, but let's get to the summary and the details here. So uh, Brian Mills, played by Liam Neeson, is a former government operative. He's trying to reconnect with his daughter, Kim. 
Then his worst fears become real. When sex slavers abduct Kim and her friend Amanda shortly after they arrive in Paris for a vacation. With just four days until Kim will be auctioned off, Brian must call on every skill he learned in black ops to rescue her. Now, the next part is very important. (laughs) They're going to take you. Kim, stay focused, baby. This is key. You will have five, maybe ten seconds. Very important seconds. Leave the phone on the floor. Concentrate. Shout out everything you see about them. Hair color. Black color. Tall, short, scars. Anything you see, you understand? They're there. I can hear them. Remember, concentrate. Oh, my God. Uh, Liam Neeson starring. He's really the only star in here that I had recognized except for the mom, Famke Jansen. Yep. Who's a Dutch actress who actually played... One of the gals in Rounders. That was her. First oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I thought she was a Bond Bond girl in. She was. She might have been both. She might have been both. And then for my fellow nerds, she's Jean Grey in a bunch of the X Men films. Okay. Too. So for my fellow nerds, that's Jean. Yeah, Grey. she was in Goldeneye. She is unlikable she in, in this film. I think she was in Rounders. Unlikable. Well, I have no problem with her. Yeah. So she was. Uh, yeah. There, there's there's husband, things to discuss there too. All right, 56, uh, 58% on Rotten Tomatoes. $25 million budget turned into a whopping $227 million at the box office. Judd Zolgab, we'll start with you. What was your key takeaway from Taken? <laughs> the key takeaway from Taken. Um, this might be, and I say this, what, approximately 30 films into this exercise, this might be the best pacing of a film that we will review in in this i don't care if this goes 100 uh episodes in i don't care if it goes 200 the pacing of taken and the time of film and what they cram in there and how they do it and the writing absolutely to me is damn near perfect because you know what my attention span sort of short right they don't dilly dally they don't try and give Brian an extra girlfriend who he's going to, you know, rebound with after his wife divorces him because the job kept him away. The pacing of this film is magnificent. There is absolutely no BS. Everything about it in how they wanted to accomplish it works perfectly, including this detail. Can you play the the. um his his discussion with the bad guy again sure. about what's going to happen and what he's going to do like the like the particular set of skills yes. like the, yes. the yeah. i i have a particular set of skills the iconic okay. yes i don't know who you are i don't know what you want if you are looking for ransom i can tell you i don't have money but what i do have are a very particular set of skills skills i've acquired over a very long career skills that make me a nightmare for people like you if you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. In the newspaper. How many takes? How, do we have any idea how many takes that oh, took? Oh, God. I don't Probably know. just one. I, I mean, he. I don't one. know. I bet it was 100. He's a pro's pro. In the newspaper business, we call that a nut graph. He just summarized <laughs> the entire film, and, and I'm praising this, okay? Yeah. To be clear, I'm sure. not saying it's bad. He just summarized and gave you the entire film in one paragraph. It's genius. Yeah. It's iconic, but it's also 
You paid to see this. Here's what you're going to see. We're going to give you exactly what I'm telling you and nothing else, which is absolutely fine. But can you think of another bit of dialogue in a film like that where you literally get the summary of the film done, by the way, brilliantly? And then that's it. And it delivered from there on out. Everything he said basically is delivered upon perfectly. It's amazing. I let's let's do the deep dive right now into that into that speech, because even though I haven't seen this movie straight through until right now, it's still this iconic moment. Mm -hmm. It's it's like 30 or 45 seconds. It's it's 30 seconds of speech. And then it's like five or 10 seconds of silence, followed by good luck. And the guy hangs up. And. If I remember correctly, when this movie started coming out in promotion, it was the most unique movie trailer ever because the trailer was literally just that scene. It wasn't like, all right, here's an hour and a half of movie that's sort of condensed into. No, it was like it was like a 30 second commercial and it was just that scene. Yep. And it made you well, it didn't get me to the theater, <laughs> but, say, you didn't go. but ordinarily it would it would have gotten me to the theater. Sure. Um, and it and it. It hooked people. It was gripping. And I'm trying to think of, I'm going to take your question just to another level. In the pantheon of iconic movie speeches in the last like 30 years, so basically in my lifetime, this has to rank, this has to be on the Mount Rushmore, doesn't it? Just in terms of like memorable, iconic, repeatable, the particular set of skills, like things that people would just sort of carry over and... it, it, it it's genius because it gives you the movie. No, I know. I in a perfect I, way too. Totally agree. My question is, how many other speeches can you even think of from movies that rank That's on this level? I don't think most films think to do this. Right. A few good men has the. Did you order the code red? I want right, the truth. Damn it! But that towards that's towards the back end. Mm-hmm. Correct. Like this is at, this is. Close enough to the start where you basically are getting. They're basically saying we are going to deliver this film. Here it is. And you're like, oh, cool. I know. It's amazing. I, 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 I agree. don't know what else to say about it. I mean, no, I just love it. I know. It. I agree. But go, go back to my question. Is this the most iconic movie speech of your lifetimes? Um, the, like the most memorable, the most repeatable? Probably not the most iconic, but it is one of the greatest uh, McDonald's-like delivery. It, it's a happy meal, basically. It's everything you want just put in front of you instantly. <laughs> I'm trying to think of comparables. Well, you know, like the Herb Brooks speech in Miracles, pretty memorable. That's based on a true story, though. I true. mean, this might have been too. True, true. I'm sure this stuff happens all yeah, the time. Oh, no question. And then you just go to Paris and get your kid back and kill a bunch of people. Right. Um, yeah, maybe people can, like, if you can hit us up on Twitter yeah, with some other examples. But this, yeah, I'm not saying this is the greatest movie ever made in the right. last 30 years. But this is, like, one of the most iconic moments from a movie that makes you. it stand out, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I like your point too that it it just it's just a mission statement for the movie. Man. It's the nut graph. Here's what's going to happen the next hour and ten minutes. <laughs> and you're like, hell yeah, let's I'm play, in. Let's play it one more time. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Oh, it's so good. That's really good. Kill you. 
Declan, what was your main takeaway from this movie? Just that Liam Neeson is a complete badass for the entire film, and I love all of his. <laughs> obviously, you know he's got great moves, and and he and he is able to subdue all these all these intruders and all horrible people. But like also just like his one liners, and you know like he, he the relationship with him and and the stepdad, and then even how he first gets into the place in Paris, how he's waiting there with groceries. And, oh, merci, and then yeah. just puts the couch. So he went out of his way, bought some groceries so he knew he could get in this house. God knows how long he waited, probably not that long. Puts them down, <laughs> scales like a, like a insane wall. Yeah, like, yep. that's even hard to do. Yep. And, and, like, I'm also confused, like, okay, how did... Why did he have to do that to get in the apartment? Like, yeah, I don't He really found understand. the door of the apartment, right? Right. So I don't just, They and, didn't really explain, yeah. And later on in the movie, he hot-wired a car. Yeah. He hot-wired a car, yeah, so a he's, car. he's very much mechanical and, like... He yeah. couldn't just like Jimmy rig that lock on the door and open the door that way. So he breaks. It was a more fun. Kind of weird. Totally, but just Liam Neeson is a complete ba- like Qui Gon Jinn. Like I'm a Star Wars nerd. He's a big. I, I love. I love Phantom Menace. I'm one of the few people who actually likes that movie. And Liam Neeson is just a complete badass for the entire film. I love it so much. Yeah, his uh, his his parenting was because he was trying so hard. He had you know been working this government ops job for so long, and he'd ruined his marriage and like the way they set up the backstory pretty quickly at the beginning of the movie. And then, and then uh, he buys her the karaoke machine. He's thinking like, this is the, this is the best karaoke machine. It's the one that all the stars use, right? The guy at the store was like, this is the one that Beyonce uses the karaoke machine. And he brings it to this rich person party and the stepdad buys her a horse. God. <laughs> yes. And she puts the karaoke machine down oh and, and the one, okay. So the one thing though about him that I found to be so rich and so great was this. Liam Neeson, the only person in life with worse posture is probably me. Oh, I'm up there with you. <laughs> like, right but you. Yeah, like, have you yeah. ever seen a guy who, who basically <laughs> is is an action hero slink around as much as like his shoulders are perpetually drooped? Yeah, like he just sort of walks around like a, and it's like, oh, and now you're gonna go kick some ass. It's just hilarious. Yeah, he does posture is awful. Yeah, like when Daniel Craig walks into a right. room as James Bond's like, ah, this all right, this guy's he's he's totally posture. He's fit. Yeah. He's got a he's got an eight pack. Liam Neeson walks in the room and he's got like a bacon collar shirt. <laughs> exactly. he's, like, he's got the old those old jackets on that, that used to be popular in the eighties. He's slouched down. Hey, what's going on? And I'm going to kill you. Um, I think my main like big picture takeaway from this movie, aside from like all the little things we're going to get into, is kind of off what Jeb was saying earlier. It is one of the most clear, concise. Mm-hmm. And well-crafted narratives. Like, a lot of these movies, I'll admit, I have to go through and sort of double-check the plots, especially, like, like Wanted, and there's a couple other ones that I got to go through and kind of see. And I'm a, I'm a big James Bond guy. Even I have to go into, like, the Casino Royale and say, okay, what was this thing over here? Yep. I never had to do that with this movie. It's, nope. a, it's an hour and a half. The daughter gets kidnapped. The dad is a government op who has a particular set of skills. And he's going to find his daughter. And, and, are, and it's just so right. straight up, you know exactly what you're buying into. And there are concerns about no one else. Yeah. Like, there's no secondary plot. There's no other, oh, well, what's going on here? No. In fact, I think that, that with the iconic statement, they actually developed a film where if you said, I don't got an hour and a half. I got an hour to watch. You could fast forward. Or go to that statement that he makes. Yeah, and then watch and the rest of And start there and be fine. Yep, because like, 
the things that you learn before that statement, you can sort of it doesn't they don't even really matter, right? Because the things you learn before the statement just set up the kidnapping. Exactly. Oh, that's like the idiot friend, and they're reckless, and they're and one of them seventeen, and they meet the wrong person. And he's been and like, an ops guy, and he he saves the pop star, but by the time he gives the speech, you could basically be like, okay, cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole new reset movie. The other the other main takeaway for me is just how dark this movie is with yeah. a, the, the, the some of the themes in this movie. You've got. You just think about like the strife between a father who kind of regrets the way that he has not been able to maintain his family life, gets divorced, is trying to rekindle a relationship with his 17 year old daughter. And so he kind of feels like there's been two decades of wasted time. Like that's a dark theme. Then there's the whole just like sex, tra- human trafficking and sex trafficking theme. And that's really dark. Um, the corrupt police officer theme, like there's just yeah. a lot of like things that make you feel oh, really yeah. uncomfortable in this movie, and so that was that was my other uh, key takeaway. What was your besides the speech? <laughs> I think we all agree, like the speech is probably all of our favorite parts. Besides the the iconic speech, Judd's like, what was your favorite part of this movie? My favorite part, and I, I had a few, but I think in particular the one that I would pick for this is actually a part where they speeded through something, but I loved it. When he goes and basically kills everyone in that Albanian house, in it took like three minutes for him to kill them all, and and he basically through through the tricks of of cut camera sequences and quick punches and stuff, he kills those people. I have never seen one guy kill that amount of people, including Arnold, that easily. But it was great because it's sort of they they had bigger fish to fry in the writing of the film and they knew it. So I just love the fact that he basically goes in, tells the guy that was me two days ago, kills him first, stabs, shoots and kills the rest of that that house, which was supposedly badasses like these are Albanian badass guys. And then he's just done. Yeah, And he moves on. I think my favorite part off the back end of that scene is because he he allowed one guy to live so he could tie him up and torture him. Yes. It might have been the good luck guy. And electrocute him. Yep. So he he electrocute he electrocutes this guy to get information out of him. Then he gets the information he needs out of him. Yep. And the guy is just like the guy has given up the information. He's just like, oh, my God, just let me live. And Liam Neeson looks at him and he says, I believe you. But it's not going to save you. <laughs> and then he flips the electrical shock switch on and just leaves the room. Yes. And just let like the, so the guy is just like being electrocuted till he dies at that point. Super. But ruthless. he kills those people so easily, and it's just so much fun. Yeah. Declan, what was your favorite part of this movie? Yeah, finally when he when he gets into when he's like just jabbering with the Albanian dudes at the table of four. So like he sets them up on on like price went up. Another ten percent. Another ten percent. And then he's asking, like, he's trying to josh them or drive with them a little bit. And he asks him, like, "Oh, what's sugar in Albanian?" Like, he's just like trying to buddy up. I love the part that he like he knows who they are, but he like has yet to confirm it. So he's like making sure, like, all right, I'm not going to just kill people to kill them. I need to I need to know are these the Albanians that have taken my daughter? And then once he realizes it, and just like as Judd said, goes ham and like for three minutes, he like basically kills. What like ten people or six to oh, ten people? Yeah, badasses. In like in in that quickly. Yes, it's awesome. It it, it I, I love the I love that he literally infiltrated them and then got them really quick and and then basically you knew that now he can he basically kind of singled out where his daughter is yep. and I love that part. What did you guys think of the scene that led up to him finding those guys where he walks out and he starts talking to the prostitute on the sidewalk? Yeah. So he he pays the one guy the Albanian translator guy he pays him for ten hours. Yes. 
And he, the guy only winds up waiting there for like 10 minutes. And so he paid him for 10 hours just to make sure he didn't go anywhere. And then he's the quote unquote negotiating with the prostitutes yes. just to try and like uh, to get one of the Albanian bad guys to come up to him. Then he, then he that, that whole part to me was hilarious because it's like old Liam Neeson trying to like sort of flirt with a prostitute <laughs> and like, well, how much is there like a two for one deal or something? <laughs> Do you guys like the part where, where he also um, finds the girl? who has his daughter's jacket in the house, he takes her back to a hotel and mysteriously gets these IV bags yeah. to take the drugs out. Yeah. <laughs> what do those come from? That's exactly. Actually, I think I have a theory on that. So he shows up to that hotel and he clearly has, he knows the guy behind the desk from previous missions or right, operations, right. right? And the guy behind the desk says, you know, long time no see. Like, yeah, good to see you. The, and he says the, the usual setup. Oh, you think it involved so, IV bags and stuff? So is it possible that the usual I setup includes like a hotel room and re- supplies to recover? But he like nurses from, her back yeah. to health until she says, "Oh yeah, it's a house <laughs> over on Grand Street." There, thank you very much. And yeah. then like also no addressing of what happened with her. Like did she stay in the hotel? Like did he set her free? Like there was nothing that addressed. Not that like it really needed it, but it was. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, was I'm she, with you. Did she die? Yeah, like, like, they, like, did he no. set her free? No, she, I guess she didn't die because she she woke up at one point. But the point is, they didn't worry. And I love this. They didn't worry about anybody else. It's true. Like there was no sub storyline of, well, she got back with her parents in the United States. Now that I'm scared. I think my favorite part of this movie was actually the part, the, the first part of the kidnapping leading up to the iconic speech where, cause like, at that point in the movie, we knew that he was a government ops guy and he was a preventer as he told his daughter. And we didn't really know a lot of details about what his particular set of skills were and all of a sudden like he's on the phone with his daughter she starts freaking out a little bit oh my god they've got amanda and so he's like <laughs> trying to process what she's even talking about yep and if it was any of us on the phone we'd just be like what what are you, what are you who, who's they yeah what are, wait like where are you right now right we would just be asking all these dumb questions not liam neeson now the next part is very important <laughs> they're going to take you <laughs> Focus, baby. This is key. You will have five, maybe ten seconds. Very important seconds. Leave the phone on the floor. Concentrate. Shout out everything you see about them. Hair color. Eye color. Tall, short, scars. Anything you see, you understand? They're there. I can hear them. Remember, concentrate. Dex Judd and I were saying before the mics turned on here that this is this is what we envision Gary Kubiak talking to Kirk Cousins like in the in the headset when like when Drew Samia is melting the pressure, down. The pressure's coming. Right, this is what's going to happen. Drew Samia is going to get forklifted off the line of scrimmage <laughs> and you're going to get sacked. I want be. you to shout out everything about the three technique that you can remember. It's Preston Smith. I can hear him. He's six foot two. He's, he's 315 pounds. Oh, my God. <laughs> drop the football. Just, gonna drop, tap, the, gonna just drop the football. Drop my tattoo. <laughs> this, is, this is what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. right. The next right. part is very important. They're going to stunt. They're going to take you. Kim. They're, they're going to sack you. They're going to sack you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I have a particular set of play point skills. Zone blocking. Screens. Deep shots. I could, you know what? I could, see, I could see Koob's. Co- being Liam Neeson. I could see it a little bit. Bad posture, old weathery skin. Yeah, I could see that. I've got a particular set of I've got a particular ability to turn backup running backs into pro bowlers. An offense 
and a scheme and a zone blocking scheme that can make life miserable for defensive <laughs> coordinators like you. Uh, your least favorite part about this movie, Judd? This is so difficult because some of the stuff I didn't like, I actually love. <laughs> so we can explore that too. Yeah. So, so like it's it's tough. Um, I don't think I had a part because it's so well constructed. Ordinarily, my least favorite parts of these films are parts that drag on, right? Like a relationship that's just stupid, okay? This didn't have it. So I would say that, that it, although I like this part, it probably went a little bit too far, but it's hysterical. It's when Brian decides that he needs to shoot his friend's wife in the arm just right. Let's get going. Dinner is over. I'm not finished yet. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's what happens when you sit behind the desk. You forget things, like the weight in the hand of a gun that's loaded and one that's not. It's a man! It's a flesh wound. If you can get me what I need, the last thing you'll see before I make your children orphans is the bullet I put between her eyes. Now, retreat, Sinclair. Oh, he usually shoots the, they he shoots shoots the wife. Such a nice lady, and like, too. Yeah, there's, there's, she did nothing she, like, wrong. She likes her, and like she likes him, clearly. Like, there's a relationship thing. Well, was that necessary? No, that's my point, is it wasn't. <laughs> like, like if you're going to flesh wound a bad guy, fl- flesh wound your friend who's the cop, if he's going to have a flesh wound, he can still talk. So I was like, I think what Phil j- just said is right. Was that necessary? But it's hilarious because he clearly just pulls out his gun and shoots her, and then it's like, it's a flesh wound. As if he knows instantly exactly <laughs> where. Like, if, if her arm had moved just a little bit, it's not a flesh okay. wound. I right. Th- all right, you've 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 kind of hit on, like, the Venn diagram of your least favorite thing and my least favorite thing sort of meet here. So okay. I, I want to bring up my least favorite thing, too. It's the it's the <laughs> It's all the open-ended pieces at the end of the movie. So... Let's just go through yeah. the the end of the movie. Let me let me play a clip here, and then we'll go. Where are we? I told you, it's a surprise. Hi. hi. <laughs> when someone says hi, it's usually polite to say hi back. <laughs> so I heard you want to be a singer. I do. She does. <laughs> well, come on in. Let's see what you got. We have no idea if she can actually sing. Like at no point did Didn't she matter. ever sing in the movie. Again, it's good. Sudden, she's at like the the Lady Gaga equivalent yeah. to whoever the this hell? celebrity was. Katy so, Perry's house, man. Yeah, Katy Perry's probably the better. Like she just shows up to Katy Perry's house. Now, in part, I think the celebrity felt a debt of gratitude right. to Liam Neeson for saving her life early in the movie. But correct. But let's back up a step. So he goes to Paris, and he basically buys his daughter back initially for five hundred thousand dollars. And then kills everyone sort of in and around and, and saves his daughter, including he he actually uh, killed the guy that originally bought his daughter on his yacht. Right. Yes. So so he winds up. He has to fight his way out of this situation. He finds his daughter on the yacht. He kills everybody. So there's just dead bodies everywhere. There's dead bodies <laughs> on a yacht. There's dead bodies in this this auction at this hotel or whatever, which is there's, rich people, too. Yep. There's a dead body in the elevator. Yes. There's. There's a dead friend in Amanda that we, we don't even really get the answer didn't to. Worry about her too much. And there's also like the woman he shot in the arm at dinner that we went over. So yes. there's just this this wake of carnage, and the people who know that this happened are either embedded in the police department or are rich and have connections. Yes. And they all know that Liam Neeson is the one that killed all these people. Yeah. 
and they just hop on a plane at I, the end of the movie yes. and they're like, we're, all right, we're back in the United States. Yes. And they come through <laughs> oh, customs. God. They come through customs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Passport for it. Well, that's, no problem. There's just like no, and by the way, yeah. like, so, so they get off the plane and apparently there's just no discussion about dead Amanda. Like, yeah, that family or anything. Not nope. one word oh, Amanda, about- <laughs> Amanda, he finds, he finds her and she's dead. And I mean, that, that could have been like a doll by that point. Oh God. And he just finds her's like Amanda, oh, and then he just runs off. Oh no, you're exactly right. They well, like, they didn't tie anything up. It was just all right. We're back in the United States. Uh, no one's looking for oh, me yeah, at all. There's no, there are no, no consequences or fallout for the entire thing. <laughs> and and again, again, they've got him at, at that house, right at, at the rich party. They've yeah. got him. He's tied up, and the guy says, "Kill him quietly." And nobody thinks to use a silencer to just shoot him. And then there was the, actually, another great line in this movie was, it's just business. Yeah. I have kids, but it's just business. We can resolve this. I know, I know how you feel. We should, we should talk. <laughs> okay, we, we, we can work this out. Where is she? Please. Understand. Please try to... There's a boat by the key. Please understand. It was all business. It wasn't personal. It was all personal to me. Awesome. I love how like that guy is just trying to, his daughter has been kidnapped and auctioned off as part of a sex trafficking ring. And he's like, it's just business. It's business. Business. It's business. business. Come on. Hey. You, you understand. We're both a couple of business guys. Yeah. yeah. We understand. Oh, and even too, like, I don't have the clip fit, but when he's like, I mean, I have, uh, I have two sons and a daughter. Like, I, I completely get it. Yeah, I totally keep trying to level with them. <laughs> Hey, you and me are you and me are alike, buddy. Hey, come on, Father of the Year last year in Paris. Uh, Yeah, that was me. Uh, Declan, your least favorite part about this movie? Uh, Two things. Number one, (laughs) the daughter Kimmy. I'm sorry, is one of the worst actors I've ever seen. She (laughs) is so so bad at acting, dude. And I even looked her up, and she hasn't really been in anything else noteworthy either. Apparently, she's in. uh, I don't watch The Walking Dead, but then they made you know. After The Walking Dead or the sequel to it, she's a main fixture in that. Okay. But she is just a horrible, <laughs> horrible actor. Yeah, like, she, she rides the roller coaster of emotions, too, right? Oh. Like, Daddy, oh my God! Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I also, like, I despise that. Like, so I think just naturally I don't like that when people are, are like that in general or in acting. So I, I, I did not enjoy she that. She also comes home, like, all gleeful. Like, right. Like, okay. I get it. When the film started, you just turned 17 and you're, you know, a carefree. But your friend just got killed. Yeah. God knows what happened to you while trafficked, right? And you come home and you're like, Mom and Dad! Yeah. <laughs> Let's go get singing lessons. Yeah. This is great. I mean, no therapy, no nothing. I'm fine. All right. Second least favorite part. So when Liam Neeson goes to his wife's house to tell, her, tell the wife and the stepdad that she's been taken. And he's on the phone. Um, actually, before he gets on the phone with his buddy to explain, like, yeah, she's been sold into, like, sex trafficking, dude, and you have 96 hours to save her. Yeah. But before that, the wife says this to him. Would you please get her back to me, Brian? First, I have to find her. So the wife admits she wants him back. Then it's never addressed again. Oh, no, wait, wait, play that again? Am I wrong? No, did, I, did I hear this wrong? She's saying, please get her back to me. I thought he said, please come back to me because then because he's saying i uh, first i have to get her back so listen to it again would you 
He's got her back to me, Brian. Get her. First, I have to find her. I think he's saying, get her. get her back to me. I'm playing one more time. No one talk. Please get her back to me, Brian. Yeah, first I have to find her. Okay. Yeah. I had to like, I literally, she needs to even, more, even when I watched it, she's on crying. The movie, she's crying. She's like, actually upset. I thought she hated this guy. She like, does. They had a uh, clearly horrible divorce and an ugly split. But, but you've you've hit on something though. I think that so you know, the movie ends where it ends. If you could go back and you know maybe ask her now that you've seen what your ex husband is actually capable of, like mm-hmm. she didn't like that life though. Which one do you want? No, she didn't like that life. Well, but she's she not, wanted but, the rich mansion. He wasn't she, rich. Do you think she's fulfilled? I don't think she is. She is now Lenore, okay? Not Lenny, Lenore. It would be nice just to have a private jet company on call whenever you want to yeah. go somewhere. That would be that would be worth enduring a bad what? relationship for. When do you want the plane? An hour ago. <laughs> oh, and, and his friend his friend too, who like susses from like from like a granola of information, yeah. susses out the entire thing. His name's Tom Jones. He lives in Verdugo. He, you might want to go there and find him right now. It looks like his address is twenty eight twenty one. It's like what the hell? I will say the the mom and like the stepdad's insufferable because he's yeah. clearly just like rich. I'm a rich guy and I'm going to buy my stepdaughter a horse. And his name's Stuart, just an on brand yeah. stepdad yeah. name. Yes. Just I'm sorry. Hello, I'm Stuart and I'm looking to purchase a quarter horse for my stepdaughter. Like what? he's about to go off to. Pay- so here's nothing. She, just, she like gets a horse and then she like goes off to Europe. Like who's taking care of the horse? I'm Stuart's sure have- people. I guess. On the, fo- on the uh, and ground. She, and she's about to go to college, presumably, and she's right. just going to have a horse? No, but she might be a singer, too. Like, my parents wouldn't even replace the basketball okay. hoop when I was 17. Right. You're like, you're going to go to college in a year. What I do you got mean? another you're question. you a grand on the basketball hoop? So, so, so he, he agrees to go back with his three friends to do security for the one event for basically... We'll call um, Katy Perry. The singer. Katy Perry. Yeah, okay. And Katy Perry. Okay. So he agrees, and which is cool, which is cool. Now, she gets done with her show, and the gate to where the fans can get through, which would never be left open, is. But I sort of get that. Here's what I don't get. So you're doing security for a singer. And, I mean, yeah, she's popular, but it's not a president. She's not a politician. And there just happens to be some psycho with a knife behind a barrier. Oh, yeah. I think that happens. I, I bet that happens a lot with, like, females. Do you think Britney like Lady Spears Gaga. has that problem? I bet she, and, yeah. And, I bet she does. And we just sure. don't find, like, some dude. Yeah. Rando dude 100%. who just happens to have a knife. Yeah, I think that's true. And then he takes him out. And then what I love is he just takes him out with like no problem. And didn't like didn't see him like the guy was behind the wall and he just like yes. instantly reacts. He just yeah, he just takes away from him. That's yeah. it. Okay, see you later. Um we the one thing we haven't really gotten into that we have to let's talk about the friend Amanda here for a second. Okay. What a terrible human. Yeah, she stinks. So Amanda <laughs> Amanda lies about uh, well, they both lied, I guess, about they weren't just going to Paris. They were following you two. They were going to follow you Europe, too, right? yes. And uh, and then she leaves her map in the trunk too. That's right, my favorite. With all the like the arrows yeah. of the, the countries like, they're going to go to. When were you going to tell me? <laughs> so so Amanda lies about the fact that they were going to stay with her cousins, but her cousins were gone for the summer in Spain, so they were really staying there long. Yeah. But if you had a checklist of the dumb things you shouldn't do as a tourist in another country. Post 9-11, mind you, too, right? Where you should, every, should, 2008, you yeah, way past it. So, number one, they tell the French, they flirt with the French stranger guy. Mm-hmm. They tell the French stranger guy they're from out of town, that they're alone in the apartment, the exact floor of the apartment, and that they'd like to party later, and they crank music to draw attention to themselves as well. Like, it's just yeah. a checklist so they of can't idiotic hear a damn things. Thing. Yes. 
Correct. You're so yeah. So I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on Amanda getting. I think I thought Amanda got her comeuppance in this movie. Quite frankly, there is right? no one what in a this terrible m- human. There, there is no one they kill in this film that I care about. Like there is not one death where I'm like, oh, I sort of like that character. Like he finds her dead. I'm like, okay, cool. And just to clarify. I'm kidding about Amanda, but I do think she's a terrible, despicable human. Yeah, no, but I'm saying, so. did, did you feel empathy or sadness for any character who was dead? No. Like, ordinarily, there might be, like, one friend or something, right? right. You're no. like, oh, that's too bad. No. I mean, I, I felt empathy for, like, anyone who's involved in a sex trafficking oh, ring against Oh, no, I'm saying in the movie itself. Yes. Not in, yes. Yeah. But from Amanda on down, they didn't make you like one character that they then killed. So you too was the band that they wanted to follow around. Is Just there on Europe in non-COVID times? So right. assuming that everything is safe and healthy, and you can travel, and like someone gives you uh, five grand to go travel for like a few weeks to go follow a band in Europe. Yeah, is there a band that you guys would follow around to like four or five different countries? Not anymore. No. No, I love concerts, but I also don't. I wouldn't want to see the same band in different cities. Like it's the same act. Like yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm good seeing them once, and right. then I'll just go explore Spain on my own. Like I would, if if it's the option of can I see five bands in you know ten days or whatever, I think that's different. But I don't want to see the same band a dozen times over six weeks. That sounds yeah. awful. I get tired of it. Here's, I would have at one time, but not anymore. No way. Here's another question for you guys on the on the mom because the, the mom is a terrible human being too. Let's be honest. I don't mind her, but okay. Well, Lenore, what, oh, she's a pain in the ass. Dude, the, the line early in the movie, yeah, like, I, I, like I don't her. know how I could ever get over this. If I'm Liam Neeson and before the Paris trip, yep. the mom says, oh, yeah. putting our daughter at risk by going to Paris, you're pathetic. Oh, yeah. And then you turn out to be 100% right. She gets involved in a sex trafficking ring, for God's <laughs> sakes. Well, how could you ever live that comment down if you're the mom? If you're the mom, where where would you draw the line? Because the, the mom had, had been told specifically, yeah, I'm going to lie to dad, and I'm going to Europe, not just France, to follow you two around, okay? So at what point in time, if you're the mom, do you pull back and they're like, you know what, I, I you're 17, we don't know if your friend's cousins are going to be at the house, which they're not. Like, at some point in time, you, you would have thought good old Lenore would have been like, that's a little bit too much, right? There's a lot of bad parents out there. Yes, there is. A lot but of I bad just love, I love how she like signed off on the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, literally. Literally signed and off on that it. that was it. Um, other things of note here that I have in my notes anyways. Can we talk about Liam Neeson's kind of accent? So he has, he's Irish. He's, he's from Northern yeah. Ireland. Mm-hmm. And, and the same is true, I believe, for the mom. The mom, I think she's a Dutch actress. Oh, okay. And you could, and her, I think she has an accent because you could sort of hear her creeping through, but was Liam Neeson sort of trying to disguise his accent, but not really? Or what, what I was the think, deal there? I don't think he cared. But I don't think it was a full on Irish accent. It was like. No, but I think that's his, I think, I think he talks in the film how he talks in real life. Yeah, let's, let's listen to this one. Yeah. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. That might be how he talks now. Well, he... And I believe 
he he was raised in Ireland, so he has like both an Irish accent and an English accent, and okay. they kind of and they kind of blend to that unique sound. It's obviously unique, like it's a unique sure. dialect. Yeah, and then he but then he's also like kind of trying to be from Los Angeles or or, or, are, they, or are they New York? I don't even know. L A. L A. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I think that's just how how he he talked. I don't think that stuff like that in this film mattered one bit. Did you guys see who was originally first cast as Brian Mills in this movie? No, who? No, who? I, I should I should give you guys some guesses. Okay, I'll give you. Oh, let's play the the hot or cold game. Okay, Mel Gibson. Uh, incorrect. I'm trying to decide how how warm or cold you are. You're you're pretty cold with that one, and that would probably be too too close to uh, ransom. Ransom, yeah. Give me back my son. That'd probably be too close, but he he strikes me as the type of guy who would get cast. The man, the man who was cast as as the Liam Neeson character is one of the most noteworthy actors of, I would say, like the last forty or fifty years. Not like the top top. He's not like on the Tom Hanks tier, but he's definitely like super household name. And was the star of one of the most popular movies of my lifetime. Declan, you want to guess? DiCaprio? <laughs> no. no. Oh, my God. Be, think that, would, that would be an amazing be awesome movie. too young for that. <laughs> wow, you got a 17-year-old daughter, Leo? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the most years. popular films of your lifetime. Mm-hmm. I just thought, I don't know why Titanic just came into my mind. So it's, that's when you said that. I believe it was a I got a particular movie. set of skills. I'm going to get you. <laughs> um, I don't know who. Jeff Bridges. Oh, I would never have gotten that. I would that. never have guessed that, but really? I, would have loved it. I love Jeff Bridges. And, and did he pass it up? So here's the excerpt from Wikipedia. Jeff Bridges was first cast as Brian Mills, but after he dropped out of the project, Liam Neeson accepted the part, desiring to play a more physically demanding role than he was used to. Neeson at first thought the film was going to be no more than just a little side road for his career, expecting it to be released directly to video. Hmm. So Liam Neeson's really? like, I'll do this, whatever. It's a paycheck. Interesting. And, it, and this is probably the career. Well, Liam Neeson was uh, was in Schindler's List, but I think this is probably the most like iconic movie of his career. It has to be. That's certainly the most iconic speech of his career. Is this the most noteworthy movie of Liam Neeson's career? That I don't know. I, I think say, it probably is. I, I would say Schindler's List is definitely. But as a leading, so I saw like I saw that in the theater. To be honest, okay. I'm trying Personally. to. Yeah, I'm trying to think. But what what was his? What was his not role, but his uh, percentage of time in that film compared to this? I mean, well, also Schindler's List is like a three and a half hour excursion. Yeah, yeah, he's got to take and, a water and, break and, once. And, in yeah, and, and one of the great Seinfelds of all time. <laughs> and great, you made out during Schindler's List. That's one of the greatest <laughs> Seinfelds. God. How they how they came up with that idea, I have no idea, but it's one of the great. I can't believe you made out during Schindler's List. Uh, anything else before we get to the 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 rating and the bad guy ranking? Just one thing quickly. Go ahead. Did Amanda have parents? And like, wouldn't they have called Liam Neeson's character at some point in time? That's to a good been question. Like, have you heard from our daughter? You know, I mean, you saved your daughter. Have you heard from our daughter? I don't know. Yeah, they just like, but you know, they just got back and like, I guess, I guess they can just her parents can figure you know, out what happened to her. You know, the one, you know, the one thing that 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 they did. Um, in the writing to justify why Amanda died and uh, Liam Neeson's daughter didn't, when she goes, I'm going to sleep with the French guy that we just met, right? And then she tells her friend that she has to, I believe the quote is, give it up, right? 
So got to give it up at some point. But that's why, because she didn't, it's why they, they were still trying to sell her and why she was not killed, too. Okay. Because, mm-hmm. because she was a virgin, her price, which is disgusting, but her price on the market was so high, <sighs> that's why. She is. And they, but that's why they killed Amanda, because they didn't care. God. But yeah, like, this movie is so they dark, thought to man, write that. Dark. They God. thought to write that in a split second, which oh is really, yeah. Oh, it's incredibly dark. It's gross. Uh, definitive bad guy rankings. I, I have one last little oh, comment before we go. Do. It's his collection of buddies that like come over and then they do the concert. Are those like not? Do any of those guys look like mercenaries? They look no, like average. They look like average true. Joes. They look like they could work here. <laughs> hey, they, where's they the grill? You got they, the steaks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you forgot, didn't you? Like it. it You're right. They don't look they like right. they should be in anything call. close to security detail. <laughs> like when, when I will say when when his buddy is giving him the information about, like, yeah, they're Albanian and it's a sex trafficking yeah. ring. That makes sense. Like, oh, he's behind the scenes and he's and he's plugged in and he's networked. OK, but him to be like muscles and like we yeah. used to that time you had to ditch us and go 9000 miles for your daughter's birthday. Yeah, that was a crazy thing. Like, none it. of those guys sure. should be there. They talk to each other it's like a great like, observation. like do you guys ever go to uh <laughs> even in pre-covid days, you ever go to like a, a patio during happy hour at like 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock on a Friday oh, yeah. when when uh, like the marketing people from Target <sighs> or accountants get done working for the day and they unloosen the tie and they got a beer and they're you know, they got to be home to the wife in about an hour but they're just talking you know, they're just kicking around subjects like that. They talk to each other in this movie as if, like, they just got done with a long day downtown at Wells Fargo. And, boy, the boss was really riding me yeah. today. It's like, no, they're all, like, lethal government operatives. And Dex is right. None are, are in, like, great shape. Yeah. None of them. He's exactly right. <laughs> Not a single one. I didn't one. think about that, but now that you mention it, it is hilarious. Got Amazing. a little gut going, man. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, definitive bad guy rankings here. To this point, Hans Gruber from Die Hard, Cyrus the Virus from Con Air, and Brad Wesley from Roadhouse are the top three. Cobra Kai from Karate Kid, Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon, and Yvonne Drago from Rocky IV. At the bottom of the list, we've got like the incompetent Russian military from Rambo III, the muggers from Death Wish, the French drug lord from Bad Boys. And so the criteria here is how iconic are the bad guys, how... Um, how evil are the bad guys and how good are the bad guys at what they do sort of all bundled into one. Well, I think like the, the Albanian traffickers are basically like the bad guys in this movie. Right. Right. And they're, they're not. And his friend, the cop. That's true. Like he's supposed to be a bad guy too, because he, he allows the whole thing to go on and knows about it. So I think these are all very terrible human beings. They're all running a very sophisticated operation that Liam Neeson Really, only Liam Neeson can blow it up because he's a government, like he's a he's a high level government ops guy. So I think they rank pretty low on the iconic rankings because there's not like an Ivan Drago or a Hans Gruber, right? There's not like a witty bad guy, right. but I think they rank pretty high in all the other areas. And so I would probably put them more to like the top third of our list. What do you guys think? Behind whom? Let's go. Let, let's go down here. You kind of stop me when we get to the area. So right. Ivan Drago, the Russian mobsters from John Wick. Those are more iconic, I think. They were more. better, yes. Dennis Hopper from Speed, Bodie from Point Break, mm-hmm. Dom from Fast and the Furious, mm-hmm. Lord Humongous from Mad Max 2, Molaram from Indiana Jones and the Temple of I'd Doom. I'd put him right around there. Okay. Where where you just got to. Declan? Yeah, that's probably accurate. Because like it it's not really one bad guy, it's a collection of 
people, yeah. like an organization. And they're pretty incompetent. Yes. So, like, I don't really hate them because they're dead so quickly. I think I'd probably put them right behind Molaram from Indiana Jones. And then, okay. and then ahead of the Camachos and Lunas from Code of Silence. And then ahead of Rogue CIA agent. Okay. Somewhere in I there. think that's fair. Yeah. Because they get killed so quickly, but they are really bad guys. <laughs> they are terrible. Like, humans. what they're doing is as yes. disgusting as you can get. And now we get to our 1 through 10 ranking system here, gentlemen. Oh, boy. The, the best movies that we have reviewed to this point. We've done 29 action movie reviews, including this one. Mm-hmm. Only one perfect score. Die Hard is the only perfect score with a 10. Mm-hmm. Across the board, John Wick, 9.3. Commando, 9.2. Fast and the Furious and Expendables, both 8.8. Followed by Top Gun, Roadhouse, Hard to Kill, Rocky Four, Bad Boys, Independence Day, and Point Break are all of the eight or aboves. The worst movies we have reviewed, Bloodsport, <laughs> which I still take issue with, Mad Max 2, <laughs> Wanted, Rambo 3, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, Air Force 1, I take issue with, 48 Hours, Death Wish. Air Force 1 is too low. I agree. Air Force 1 is too low. The Rock is too low. We have The Rock at a 6. We have Con Air at a 6. Yeah, those what are... the hell's wrong with us? I, I love Wanted, but I will not fight you guys on the... Oh, well, no, no, no. Wanted I was... I love like... Wanted, but... Well, right, no, that's great. I'm glad, I'm glad you like it. All right, Judd, what's your score? Okay, I don't do this lightly. I don't do it often. Oh boy! And it comes, and it comes with maybe just a little bit of second guessing of myself. But I'm going with a perfect ten. Oh wow! I absolutely look. The ingredients are perfect. The timing is perfect. The dialogue is great. The loose ends that exist in this film exist in every damn film. So I'm not not going to pick on it for uh, having the same problems that a lot of our films have. It's a 10. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's everything. It's fun. Like, it's really dark, but they also cut through it quickly. So it's a 10. Declan? It's a 9 for me. It's a 9 out of 10. Um, The pace is phenomenal. Liam Neeson kicks ass for basically all of 90 minutes. Um, There's some quirky little holes that fit in our, our, our action movie Rewind. The bad guys are, like, truly horrible human beings, but there isn't, like, the one definitive really, really bad person. Yeah. That, which, you know, is fine for these reviews, but I think it, I think that does have to fit in the criteria for my perfect 10 score. So, for me, it's a 9. 9 out of 10. Oh, man. This is an amazing movie. This is an incredible movie. <laughs> and I'm I'm so happy that I finally got a chance to watch it all the way through. It's snappy. It's concise. Mm-hmm. It's such an easy plot to understand. Like it's it's all of those things. I'm giving it a nine point five. Okay. okay, I'm giving it a nine point five okay. because yeah. I, here's the difference between and, and by the way, a nine point five makes it the second best movie we have reviewed in this action movie rewind season. So, Die Hard's a ten. Taken is a nine point five. John Wick is a nine point three. The only reason why I don't give it a ten is because of what Declan said. It doesn't have the iconic bad guy that Die Hard has. Like, well, Die, fair, Die yeah. Hard and Taken are very different movies, but they're also, like, you can explain Die Hard and Taken very easily to yes. a friend. Yes. Uh, yeah, Bruce Willis is a cop that goes to essentially make up with his ex-wife and gets caught in a terrorist attack in a building and tries to save it. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and Taken, yep, um, former government operative's uh, uh, daughter goes to Paris, gets kidnapped, and taken into a sex trafficking ring, and he goes to try and shut it all down. Yep. All right, I'm in. All right, sweet. And Easy the, watches, absolutely. And the difference is Die Hard has Hans Gruber. 
Yeah. And Taken doesn't have a Hans Gruber. Okay. So I'm giving it a 9.5. It's an unbelievable movie. I'm very glad we reviewed it. Should his friend the cop have been slightly worse? Because if, if he had been slightly worse, he definitely Possibly, then yeah. is just a bad guy. His friend the cop should have been the central figure bad guy. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, what, right. I, that's what I think. Yeah. That, that would have been the... Because he was sort of a jerk. I mean, you didn't like him. Yeah. And he should have just been more like charismatic and iconic in some way. He should have. They should have been like good friends. And then he discovers, oh, my God, gone, my good friend is right. soft behind the desk. So Forget what that gun feels like in your hand. The weight of a gun. Chud <laughs> does a great Liam Neeson. He does. That's all I've got. Impressed. I'm down. Now, the next part is very important. It's called keys. They are going to take you. <laughs> keys to a Viking's win. Yeah. Keys to a Vikings when the Falcons are coming to town. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Get over it. Matt Ryan's too good for you. What's next week's movie? All De- right. It's Declan's turn. Yep. We have options here, but I, I've never seen this from start to finish. It's it's a 13-year-old film. It's got Clive Owen, Paul Giamatti, even uh, Monica Bluishi, uh, bon, one of the Bond girls, and, and then in... Um, which one is it? The, one of the more recent James Bond films. I like Giamatti a lot. Giamatti and Clyde Bone, though, are the main guys. It's Shoot 'em Up. You guys ever seen Shoot 'em Up? No. Never even heard of Shoot 'em Up. Me it's, neither. It's an hour and 25 minutes. As you can imagine in the title, Shoot 'em Up. It's an assassin based film. Okay. I've seen this on TV before, but I've never seen it from start to finish. I think it's very on brand with what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm it's very excited cast. for it. Yeah, it's, it's a good cast. Clyde Those Bone, stars are good. Paul Giamatti, Monica Bluishi. Shoot 'em Up. I'm very excited. Ne- for it. Never heard of it. We'll we'll take a stab and we'll we'll see what happens. And then the week after that, we're gonna pivot and we're gonna do because it's Halloween week. I'm gonna make you guys watch a horror movie of some oh, kind. I can't wait. Well, don't say make. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm gonna force you. Hello, to Sydney. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's happening next. You're gonna drop back to pass. Riley Reef is gonna blow out his ankle. <laughs> You're gonna get blindsided. You're gonna look up. You're going to get stretchered off the field, and Sean Mannion's going to start. Go get him, Kirk. Now, the next part is very important. They are going to take you. 